Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Michael Samuel Smith is back now, continuing his look at the prophetic significance of David. After David's battle with Goliath, take us down the road if you can, and tell us where David's capital city originally was, and when did Jerusalem become the capital of Israel? Well, after David kills Goliath, he cuts off his head and takes it to Jerusalem. It says that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54. Keep in mind, Jerusalem is still a Jebusite city, so David cannot go into this enemy-controlled city. We believe David buried the head of Goliath somewhere on the Mount of Olives. We will explain why we believe that a little later. As the years go by, King Saul and his son Jonathan, who will become a close friend to David, both died on the battlefield. Of course, Saul by his own sword and Jonathan in combat. A 40-year-old son of Saul by the name of Ishbosheth will be made king by General Abner. You may want to write this down because it's hard to find and most students of the Bible are not aware Ishbosheth will be the second king of Israel. He will be in power two years. You will find this in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. So after Ishbosheth is king for two years, David replaces him. So David technically is the third king of Israel. When David becomes king, his capital is in the ancient city of Hebron. In the seventh year of David's reign, he captures the city of Jerusalem and makes it the capital of Israel. According to Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones, he says it was in the year 1048 BC that David had victory over Jerusalem. Wow, I really appreciate those little tidbits that you drop in there. (laughs) That's why it's so good that we archive our programs, and there are all kinds of gems in there. But Brother Mike, in your DVD, you mentioned there are some parallels between David and Jesus, and I think the parallels are so significant. And I'm always excited when I talk to you, and you remind me of Jonathan Kahn because both of you have this fantastic ability to see parallels, and you think, is is that true? Yeah, you check them out. They are true. So tell us about these parallels between David and Jesus. Well, thank you. At the introduction of our film, we stated that embedded in the story of David, we can see Israel's past, present, and future in it. David's story parallels the first coming of Jesus. As an example, Jesus and David were both born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And just as David was a shepherd, Jesus was the good shepherd. David's battle against the head of evil takes place in a valley, and David is totally victorious. Jesus' future battle also takes place in a valley, the valley of Armageddon in our future, and Jesus has total victory over the Antichrist. We are also of the opinion David's story could possibly give us a clue when the Messiah could approximately return. 
The campaign against David is a 40-day event. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16 tells us that. In short, David kills Goliath on the 40th day. Like dozens of other stories that give us a number when you multiply it by the number 50, a jubilee number, it could, in some cases, give you a prophetic answer. As an example, the 40-day battle times number 50 gives you 2,000. So, in a type and shadow way, Jesus' second coming could possibly be around 2,000 years after his crucifixion. Also, it was David's reign in the seventh year he had victory over Jerusalem. And after seven years of tribulation, Jesus Christ will have total victory over Jerusalem and God's kingdom will be totally restored on planet Earth. Now, there is one very important last day revelation I would like to talk about concerning the timing of David, his name, by the way, in Hebrew is David, of David being born. Briefly, we have to go back to the story of Joseph in Egypt, found in Genesis, and of course, in Genesis chapter 38 in particular, I'll be talking about. So over the years, as I've shared prophetic Bible stories since 1976, a few people told me, we really love this story of Joseph in Egypt, but there is one chapter in his last 13 chapters of Genesis that just doesn't fit. It's like chapter 38 is a black eye on a beautiful story. We wish chapter 38 was just, quote, ripped out of the Bible. I appreciated their honesty, but they were totally shocked when I told them. Chapter 38 in Genesis, which deals with the sexual sin of Joseph's brother Judah, is one of the greatest golden nuggets in the Bible. I told them it actually is an enigma wrapped up in a sophisticated prophecy concerning the timing of David's birth hundreds of years later. And I told them the concept is found in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 1 through 5, it shows five classifications of people that cannot enter the congregation until 10 generations go by, referring to verse 2, of course. This would directly affect the tribe of Judah because Judah, having an illegitimate son or sons, this would apply to him. I want the folks to know this is one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible. Unfortunately, most people never were told about this. The bottom line is, after the death of Judah in Egypt, 10 generations had to go by before the Davidic kingdom with David could start because the tribe of Judah was disconnected from the congregation. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. So let's take the time and do the prophetic count. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and I'm using the King James Bible. In verse 3, in the King James Version, it says Judas. This is actually referring to Judah, the same Judah in Genesis chapter 38. Then notice verse 6, it states, And Jesse begat David the king. Did you ever get it? Ten generations go by before getting to David. Do you see how important this is and how exact David had to be born ten generations after 
Judah. From a side view, notice Jesse, David's father, is one generation short of ten. That's the generation King Saul was born in. It never was God's timing Saul was to become the king when he did, but Israel was so obsessed with having a king, they went to the prophet Samuel and demanded a king like other nations. Samuel went before the Lord and before that told the people they should be happy with God being their king. Now, I'm paraphrasing all of this. So God told Samuel, okay, if they want a king, we'll give them a king, but Samuel, I will pick him out. So this story about how Saul was picked to be king is found, of course, in 1 Samuel chapter 9. You can see how Satan got his foot in this, one generation short of 10. So you see, it always was God's will. King David was supposed to be the first king. It's just 10 generations had to be fulfilled according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. That's certainly amazing insights. And we know that the Bible is inspired by God. So, you know, this is not by chance. This is deliberate. I think some of the things, Brother Mike, that you've been pointing out certainly back up the verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God. But let's get into some controversial issues. Oh, boy, everybody loves that. You've got a couple of controversial talking points in your DVD. It seems You are of the opinion the Garden of Eden was actually located in Jerusalem about 6,000 years ago. And you also state you strongly believe the first and second temple were co-located in the city of David and not on the Temple Mount platform. Wow. How long have you been of that opinion? And do you have anything to back it up? Well, that's an excellent question. I've been talking about this publicly since 1982 ever since my wife and I returned from Israel that year, I had an opportunity to discuss the Garden of Eden being in Jerusalem, as well as the original temple being in the city of David on Christian radio in 1988. We provide scriptures in our DVD to back that up. As you know, Pastor Larry, Dr. Barb Cornuke has a few books about the temple being in the city of David. We show some of his work in our film, too. In our one-hour, 20-minute DVD, there is a wealth of information there. The pictures by itself is a real piece of history, and the Bible will come alive about King David's story. A lot of time, money, and effort actually went into this film. Well, that alone, I think, is very, very significant. The work you've done and your producer and putting all of that into this marvelous DVD, The Second Coming of David. It's certainly not just a talking head. You've got a lot of other things. Friends, this is a tremendous video, The Second Coming of David. Well, we're just kind of scratching the surface, but we want to whet your appetite. Now we're coming to the big question. Brother Mike, you stated in our first interview that you believe David buried the head of Goliath somewhere on the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm very interested to hear how you came up with that. So go ahead and present your case. Well, to begin with, we know David brought the head of Goliath to Jerusalem because 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54 says so. But David cannot, of course, go into the city of Jerusalem because the Jebusites, an enemy of Israel, controls that city. About 1,000 years later, 
we see Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I stated in our film, we do not know where Jesus was buried, but wherever he was buried, he arose from an empty tomb. That we can all agree about, and of course, praise God for that. But we do know the approximate area where Jesus died on the cross, and we show that in great detail in our film. Whether you believe the temple in Jesus' day was on the Temple Mount or the city of David about 1,000 feet south of that down the hill, the Holy Spirit provided us some important clues in the Bible. When you read Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, it says what the centurion saw. Aside from the earthquake, the centurion, who was right there at the cross, saw the veil rent in two from top to bottom, and he saw the rock split too in verse 51. Now, there is no way to wiggle around it, as many commentaries do. The only possible direction the centurion could be is directly east of the temple to view the veil being rent in two. That is exactly what God's word says. So the centurion is located on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus died on the cross on the Mount of Olives. Now what on earth does this have to do with where the head of Goliath was buried about a thousand years before? Well, folks, it's time to tighten your seatbelt. Most of us are familiar with the fact Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. It says that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 33. Even in Jesus' day, the people in Jerusalem were well familiar with the name and its location. There isn't any question the centurion at the cross could see the veil being rent in the temple and felt the earthquake under his feet, and there is absolutely no question the centurion is at Golgotha, according to the scriptures. We wanted all the folks to know the word Golgotha is two Hebrew words put together, and Golgotha translates from these two Hebrew words to English, Goliath of Gath. So people in Jerusalem knew the place of the skull was where Goliath's head was buried 1,000 years earlier. Pastor Larry, I wonder how many Christians knew that. So if this is all true, and I believe it is, the reason Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Israel, died for all the sins of mankind over Golgotha, where the head of Goliath was buried, symbolized Jesus had victory over all evil. Now you know why the centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God in Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. So, Golgotha, the place of the skull, was about Goliath's skull. So now you know the rest of the story. Amen. Thank you for filling us in. Towards the end of your DVD, you said David will be back, probably sitting on the right seat of Christ in Jerusalem for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. Well, to say the least, that's a huge statement. Can you show us that in the Word of God? Well, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 9 tells us, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, 
whom I will raise up unto them. Now, Jeremiah wrote that about 400 years after David's death, so it couldn't apply to his previous kingdom. Here are some important scriptures showing David will be back in our future ruling under Christ. And by the way, Pastor Larry, I did want you to know there are a number of preachers on TV and radio who have discussed this concept. Dr. David Jeremiah and several others have talked about that. But I don't recall many of them giving you the scriptures behind that. But we're going to do that right now. So if you go to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 through 24, in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 24 and 25, And Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, also alludes to David's second coming. But last but not least, Amos 9.11 says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. So the tabernacle of David will be renewed when Jesus comes back, and David will be there. Amen. Ezekiel thirty-eight twenty-four says, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. Wow. Ezekiel 38, verse 24. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Well, here's a riddle, maybe two riddles at that. I would like to say that And this is all in 1 Kings chapter 10, by the way, Pastor Larry. There are six steps that lead up to the throne. And those six steps, when they get to the top of the throne, there is the throne seat itself is made of ivory overlaid with gold. So when you get up to the six steps, which I believe represent 6,000 years at the throne, and the earth is God's footstool, I believe that's what it shows there. That's in verse 18 through 20 in 1 Kings chapter 10, by the way. But before that, in that same chapter, the Queen of Sheba shows up with 120 talents of gold to give Solomon. By the way, the word Sheba in Hebrew actually means number seven. So when Jesus shows up at 120 jubilees, which is approximately 6,000 years after Adam and Eve in this generation, Notice 666 shows up right after that, verse 14. So what does this show? This is a prophecy, I believe, right after the rapture, 666 shows up. And just to parallel that, Ezra chapter 2, verse 13, names the families that came back from Babylon, right? And in Ezra 2, 13, it mentions Adonikam there, right, in that scripture, And by the way, 666 is mentioned exactly right after in that same sentence of Adonikam. By the way, Pastor Larry, Adonikam in Hebrew means the Lord has risen. And I believe it is a golden nugget of the rapture, and 666 shows up right after that. So I believe God's showing us something for today. Amen. Get the complete two-day teaching from Michael Samuel Smith on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. Now some encouragement from ministry president, Dr. Kenneth Hill. Who would have thought that it takes so long to get rid of a virus? The COVID virus and its strains have been around now for over a year. And we look at that and we say, that's a long time for a virus to hang around. 
and yet we have a list of other viruses, probably as long as my arm, that tell me that there are viruses that have been around in the public for, well, 20, 30, 40 years after they were discovered. So the life of a virus, even at 40 years or 50 years, is a short time. The question is, what's your response? Everybody has a different response, and yet many people are fearful. Fear is not the proper response. Trust in God is the proper response. Is that the one that you have today? I hope it is. Jeremiah 33.3 is one of the verses I want to talk about today. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah telling those who are faithful that God says, call unto him. It's not, wait until I have time for you. It's God saying that if you want to talk to me, you go right ahead. Whenever it is that you want to speak to me, whenever you want to commune with me, I'm available. Now, when we think of people that are important, and I can't think of anybody more important than God, can you? And people that have a lot of folks that follow them and talk to them and ask of them some help, You think of that, and you know you have to really work hard to get an appointment with them. You have to go through their assistant or their appointment scheduler, and sometimes you're just never given that opportunity. It's too bad, but that happens. Well, with God, that's not the problem. He doesn't have a scheduling secretary that looks at the name on the list and says, no, they're not important enough today. Today's too busy. It's too difficult today for us to clear our schedule and let Mr. Hill talk to Almighty God, his Heavenly Father. They don't do that. God doesn't do that. Why? Because he says, call unto me. Whenever you have a need... His access is available. You call unto him at whenever, whenever there's a problem, whatever the problem may be, ever how big or ever how small, you call unto the one that can take care of the situation for you. Call unto me. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one that will take care of the situation for you. Now, he promises that if we call unto him, that is, we come into his presence, that he will answer us. Now, again, dealing with someone of authority, many times you can get that appointment, but then when the appointment's over, you feel like, well, I I hope he does something for me. I hope he answers my request. I hope you'll help in that situation, but many times the person you talk to is either incapable or unwilling to answer your request. But when we call upon God, he will answer our request. And he goes further here in Jeremiah 33.3, 
and says, I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I will educate you. I will do that because I love you, says Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. And so we're invited to call unto him, and we're told that when we do, he will answer us. And even further than just the answer to our problem, he'll show the great and mighty things that he has available for us. This is on an individual basis. He will show us those great and mighty things that he has for us. We don't know about them. It's not that we're not studying the Word, but sometimes we just don't understand the Word. And sometimes we haven't studied the Word, quite honestly. But he says that if we come to him, faith-believing, we bring our problems to Almighty God, he will answer us and he'll show us these great and mighty things. Have you ever thought about it? Even the smallest answer to the smallest of prayers is a mighty thing, isn't it? It's an unusual thing in that we have intervention, supernatural intervention by Almighty God in our lives. Isn't that a (laughs) mighty thing? Isn't that a great thing? I think it is. And he's got even greater and mightier things to show us if we will listen and stand still before him and see what he's going to do. We're told in another place of Scripture that we're to be still and know God as we are quiet before him. We get to know the Lord in our stillness, not in our opportunity of work or in our diligence of employment, if you will. No, we have the opportunity to know God better by being still. Perhaps today you're in a situation where stillness is required. You may be in a situation where you're in a hospital setting or some setting like that, and you really don't have the ability, you don't even have permission really to do much else besides lie still, and to know that God is with you when you're lying still in the midst of those circumstances, what a wonderful blessing it is. Almighty God is wanting to bless us, and he blesses us beyond measure. So that's what I wanted to talk about this this day. I wanted to talk about Jeremiah 33.3. Just think about it a little while. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I trust that you will call upon your heavenly Father, Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, and that in that calling upon him, you will share with him your needs, and that you will see the wonderful things he has for you as he ministers to you as you're with him. (laughs) That's a wonderful place to be as with Almighty God. 
The Second Coming of David DVD by Michael Samuel Smith is available today for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. We also have two of Michael Smith's other DVD teachings available, The Samson Paradox and Joseph in Egypt. These DVDs are available for a gift of $20 each or all three for a gift of $40 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online swrc.com. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.